You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great Friday afternoon. Thank you for joining Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the Friday edition of On the Line. The number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll put you through to On the Line. We're taking your calls. Once again, 334-321-1390. Find Lance and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner, at Dahl Pound. Dahl Pound, how you doing today, my man? Great, Noah. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been a eventful day, to stay, to say the least, but we have made it to the end of the week and happy to be here with everybody once again on the radio on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, as well as airing on Facebook. You can watch the show on Facebook Live on ESPN 106.7, Radio Alabama Sports and Fox Sports Central Alabama Facebook pages. Let's start off today's show talking about the recent transfers coming out of the Auburn football program. Lance, you and I haven't really had a conversation about all the guys who have left the program so far over the last couple of days. I hope I touch on all of them here, but you see Chris Thompson Jr., Kamal Haddon, Jaron Handy, Jay Hardy, Chael Garnett. Is that everybody? I think so. I think so, yeah. Out of this group of recent transfers out of the Auburn program, which will be the most costly for Auburn in the short term? And in the long term, but first, let's each give our short term most costly or costliest, I should say. I'm going to be a grammar Nazi here. Costliest transfer for Auburn in the short term. Well, I think I think for sure, short term, for sure, it's got to be one of the two guys on the defensive lineman. But I'm going to go with Hardy simply because I feel like he's the better prospect out of the two. I believe he was a four-star prospect uh, coming out of high school. Uh, strong side defensive end. I think Auburn really could have used depth on the defensive line this season, something that Zach and I have talked about a little bit. You know, I understand that Auburn's switching to a 3-4 scheme, so they're not going to have a ton of defensive linemen out there. It's probably going to be a lot of linebackers that we see rushing the passer on the outside. Uh, and I think that's a good thing because Auburn still has so much depth at that linebacker spot. But I think you got to go with a guy like Hardy because Auburn needs depth right now at every single position. They're heading into a season whenever, where they're bringing in a new coach, they're bringing in a new staff, and they need to be able to switch out guys if they don't think that the starter from last season is the guy to go for. So I think losing a four-star guy, 6'4", 280, uh, I, think, I think that's significant. I think having to move a tight end over to def- defensive tackle speaks to the depth of this defensive line currently and to lose enough, two guys to the transfer portal, I think short-term is significant for Auburn. Short term for me, I'm going to go with Chris Thompson Jr. Big part of that is he was the third safety on the depth chart, and Auburn does not differentiate between its safeties on the depth chart. Auburn has essentially two hybrid safeties over the top. They've got two guys that are going to do similar things. They're going to be roaming in pass coverage a lot of times, ball hawk safeties, but also asked occasionally to come up and run support. A lot of run support duties are handled in the front seven between the three down linemen that you're going to have in this 3-4 defense and then the interior linebackers, outside linebackers going to play a heavy role in pass rushing, not as much 
I don't think you're going to see Smoke Monday coming up to the line of scrimmage as much as you saw in the past. Now, that's not to say that I don't think that he's going to be used as a pass-rushing safety occasionally, dialing up some intricate and, I'm trying to think of the right word here, so some non-conventional blitzes to try and throw quarterbacks off their off their rhythm but I do think what you're going to see these guys play primarily 10-15 yards away from the line of scrimmage these guys are rolling or roaming the top of the defense Auburn does not differentiate between the two they don't look at the depth chart and say this guy's our free safety this guy's our strong safety they have just two safeties and Chris Thompson Jr. was going to get on the field this year and play significant snaps in exchange for Ladarius Tennyson or Smoke Monday whenever those guys came off the field. Now, how often do you rotate your safeties? Not that often. That is not a position group that you see a lot of subs happen at throughout the ball game. That's more of your defensive line if you're looking at substituting on the defensive side of the football. But I think he would have gotten on the field when you look at his numbers last year. The guy played in six different games. He played in half the season. And when he did play... Everybody was super impressed with him. Now, with that being said, Chris Thompson went through spring and probably saw the writing on the wall and was like, this is not the role that I want, Mm -hmm. and I want to go play elsewhere. But I think in the short term, this is costly for Auburn because I think he was going to play more than a Kamal Haddon, who was fifth, sixth maybe in the cornerback room on that depth chart. When you talk about all of the guys who will be playing in front of him, you got Roger McCreary. You've got Nehemiah Pritchett, you got Jalen Simpson, you got Dreshun Miller, possibly even Marco Domeo. That could be a, up to five guys that could play in front of the dude. And this new coaching staff may have not have had plans with him. That's why he decided to transfer away, even though he was a part of this year's recruiting class. After that, you look at Jaron Handy. Jaron Handy was possibly second on the depth chart at his pass rushing position group. But there are new guys coming in that might line up on the outside. Eku, Leota, Joko, Willis, guys that were a part of this coaching staff's transfer additions or recruiting class. So maybe Jaron Handy saw that he wasn't going to be a major player on that front. You also have Jay Hardy, who's caught up in the mix with some really talented, and oh, and also you look at the outside, I forgot about Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks is coming in. You forget about that guy, considering he's not on campus yet, but there's another pass rusher who's going to look to make an immediate impact for Auburn. So Jared Handy on the way out, and then you got Jay Hardy, who, like I was saying, is caught up in the defensive tackle position that has some young talent coming in Mm -hmm. by the name of Lee Hunter, but also in front of him, you've also got Zykevis Walker. You've got Tyrone Truesdale. You've got other names there. Jeremiah Wright leaped up the depth chart before he had the ACL injury. So even though Jeremiah Wright wouldn't be playing this year, in the future he will be. So maybe Jay Hardy saw the writing on the wall as well. I don't think he was going to play as big of a role on the defensive line either. So when I look at all of the different guys, I'm not even going to talk about Chael Garnett, considering we really didn't see him in the spring game. When you compare Chris Thompson Jr. to all of the other guys, I think he had the most clear path to playing time out of all the other transfers out of the Auburn program over the last week or so. Something to mention, mention about Garnett, though, really quick, is that he was recruited by Kenny Dillingham, who I completely forgot existed until I mentioned his <laughs> name the other day when Zach and I were talking on Locked on Auburn. Dilly he, Dilly. He had to sign under Chad Morris, and now he'd be playing under Mike Bobo as a fourth-string quarterback. I completely understand why Shia wanted to leave. Completely understand. 
Chris Thompson, actually, what you what you were talking about as far as playing time goes, it's the reason that I actually have him as my long-term guy because I believe he would have been able to get that playing time this season. And then I think he would have been one of the starters if Smoke Monday had chose, or chooses to leave this season. I think he'd be one of the starters at safety next year. Now, I do want to be able to kind of look at this at, at, as a, at a more positive angle because if guys are leaving, that makes me believe one of two things. Either, number one, the system that they are being put in is is not necessarily too difficult for them to handle, but it's not necessarily what they're looking for. And I think Derek Mason is going to demand a lot out of these guys. I think that's a good thing. Number two, I believe Auburn is going after people right now in the transfer portal and the, the mass exodus, so to speak, of these five guys that are leaving four of them on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's a good thing because either they have talent on the roster right now that they know they can't outcompete or they're bringing in somebody that they know is going to be more talented than them and they don't want to have to deal with the competition that's already on the roster and the competition coming in. What do I mean by that? I think Chris Thompson Jr. left because we're going after guys like Donovan Kaufman right now. And if Donovan actually does come to Auburn, I think he'll see a lot more playing time than Chris Thompson this season and next season. And if I were Chris Thompson Jr., I wouldn't want to be buried on the depth chart. And the player that you were discussing there, Donovan Kaufman, the Vanderbilt transfer, Vanderbilt transfer, yeah. right? Yeah. Derek Mason, now defensive coordinator at Auburn, his former head coach, is now working with the safeties. So I've made this point throughout the week. If you are Derek, or excuse me, Donovan Kaufman, almost said Derek Kaufman, if you're Donovan Kaufman, you can now go and work closely or more closely with the head coach that you had a good relationship with at Vanderbilt and you're going to get to be under his tutelage on the defensive side of the football a place that we know Derek Mason excels at especially working with defensive backs considering Derek Mason was a defensive back in college why would you not want to do that? Right. What's the other schools that Kaufman's looking at right now? I, I'm not quite sure, actually. I think just based off of looking at uh, 247, he's been a 100% Auburn crystal ball for like two or three weeks now. I don't know. What just else. a matter of time, probably. Yeah, it's, just, then. it's simply just a matter of time, I believe. Uh, something else to mention about Kaufman is I believe he's going to be able to also help Auburn in the return game. I don't think they have a, a, a specifically listed punt returner right now. He returned a kick or a punt for a touchdown uh, last season against LSU. So I think he's going to be able to do more than one thing for the Tigers this season. I think that makes him incredibly valuable uh, as a transfer portal prospect. And again, I understand why these guys left. These five guys, I understand why Shell left. I understand why the defensive lineman players left. I understand why Chris Thompson Jr. left. They all have reasons to leave. And I believe there's, there's a way to look at it positively instead of saying, oh my goodness, Auburn's losing every single depth piece that they have on the defensive side of the football. What are they going to do? I think it's a good thing. I think weeding out the guys that aren't either able going are not able to, to compete or do not want to compete, I think that's a really good thing for the Tigers this season. You know, and this is a product of the transfer portal rule that recently came into its official nature recently. So mm -hmm. this, is, this is a product of that. I think guys are taking advantage of it. I don't want to say that they're misusing it, but I am afraid that they're misusing it. Not these players in general, but just across the country. It's easy to look at this and say, well, this is just happening at Auburn. It's not just happening at Auburn. It's happening everywhere else in college football. I just hope everywhere else in college football or across the landscape, players aren't being impatient because sometimes the best location is where you're at if you can be patient but everybody's situation is different I don't have a problem with the rule it makes my job more fun and it also gives these guys the ability to get a blanket waiver so we don't have any of those Illinois situations where the guy's trying to go back yeah. home and he still can't get a waiver so I still like that I just want to see guys be patient and actually make the right decision I hope 
these aren't examples of guys being impatient, whereas they could have played long-term at Auburn or anywhere else that they're transferring from. But here's the thing. A lot of guys are transferring this week and before this time period because of the perceived changes to the transfer rule in college football. What that should tell you is there's a lot of guys still in the portal, like Kaufman from Vanderbilt. What we haven't seen is the new guys coming in. So Auburn folks right now concerned with the fact that guys are leaving the program and other colleges as well. Other collegiate fans are concerned that their players are leaving their university. Well, guess what? New guys are going to come in. And you just got to be patient and wait for those opportunities when those guys come in because this is all uncharted territory. We're not used to this. We're not used to this many guys leaving, to this many guys being out there in the market. Auburn can go and tap into the transfer market and bring new guys in, and then all is well in the world, right? Right. It's what we saw in basketball. I think I think to, to your point about other other colleges dealing with this, well, well what would be some specific exam, examples? Well, look at Tuscaloosa right now. Auburn's had two def- or Alabama's had two defensive backs leave their program in the last month. Like one one guy, I believe it was Ronald Williams left like yesterday. So it's not just TJ Finley at LSU entered the portal yesterday. That's right. And he might be going to Texas. We'll see how that turns out. I I love so much that I don't, I hate to, I hate to be rude, but it seems like Auburn kind of broke him because after the Auburn game, after I think that kind of got in his head and he didn't exactly play the standards uh, as the season kind of dwindled down and they kind of went with Mac Johnson, you know, Max Johnson, Max Johnson, you know, that doesn't shock me that Texas would be taking a look at him because what team did TJ Finley play best against? Alabama. There you go. There you go. Oh, that that does make sense, doesn't it? Sark might be going after a guy that he thought had a little bit of potential. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, but but again, it's not just Auburn. It's a lot of people around the uh, around the college football landscape, and it's happening specifically in the SEC. You can see it. So Auburn's going to be able to get some guys. I don't think this is something that Auburn should necessarily be worrying about. Again, if anything, I think it's a really good thing that Auburn's weeding out the competition, at, at, oh, specifically on the defensive side of the ball, because in that secondary last year, I, I would go as far to say that it was, it was poor. 240 yards a game in the SEC. If you're want, going to be a top half team in the conference, that's, that's poor pass defense on the other side of this break we're going to talk about what position groups Auburn might be best serve attacking in the transfer portal it's the second half of that game in the recruiting trail we'll be back on the other side of this break you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater we'll be right back Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Happy Friday, everybody. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Anything that's on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you about it. What do you think of all these transfers coming out of the Auburn program? Auburn baseball? Anything else going on in the sports world, even if it's not Auburn-related, we want to hear from you. Still talking Auburn football here, nonetheless, though. We were talking about recent transfers out of the Auburn program and which might be the costliest for Auburn. We said the short-term player. Now let's say long-term. What's the costliest for Auburn that we've seen leave the program in the last couple of days? Lance? Well, again, I think it's got to be Chris Thompson Jr. I think Auburn definitely needs, if we're looking ahead to the next season, if we're looking at, well, what will Auburn need this time next year? It's got to be secondary help. I think so, especially if Smoke Monday leaves, because 
I, I've kind of uh, I've kind of hinted at it as we've talked position groups heading into A Day and, and depth charts and all that kind of stuff. I'm not a huge fan of Ladarius Tennyson. I don't what? think he's going to be able to hold down that safety spot efficiently. I don't know why. I'm just concerned that it's it's not it's going to be somewhat of a liability outside of smoke. So I'm just I'm really concerned heading into next season with with Chris Thompson leaving. If we don't get Kaufman, what is this secondary going to look like? Because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of experience in 2022. I had Chris Thompson as my long term answer because I didn't expect you to go Chris Thompson. So I'll go somewhere else. I'll go with my second costliest long term departure for Auburn football because I agree with your points on Chris Thompson I thought the guy was going to be a starter next year after Smoke Monday leaves the program to go to the NFL I'm going to go with Kamal Haddon now because I think you could see you could you may not but you could see two three different guys go to the NFL out of Auburn's cornerback room which a lot of people listening that maybe aren't as familiar with Auburn's depth chart and Auburn's talent at the cornerback position may be thinking wow that's a lot are you sure well, you know Roger McCreary's at least a day two selection in next year's NFL draft. Right now, I would say his draft stock going into this season is a third-round pick. It can climb, though. The guy could put together a really solid year. We talked on yesterday's show if he has an excellent November against those pass-happy teams and those teams that can throw the football really well on the schedule. He shuts down some high-profile wide receivers. He's going to have some good film. And NFL teams will probably be prone to take him round two, maybe even late round one. Nobody was expecting Noah Igbenogany to be a first-round pick. Guess what? It happened nonetheless. So that could happen for, for, for Roger McCreary. Jalen Simpson, I believe, is draft eligible, as well as Nehemiah Pritchett. I know Nehemiah Pritchett can make the jump. I may be wrong. I'm going to go and clarify that. Can you go and look up and see how many years out of high school Jalen Simpson, how many years he's been in the program? Because I think Jalen Simpson as well – is if my memory is serving me correctly I think he could also go to the NFL next year I think it's more likely that you would see Nehemiah Pritchett but Auburn's top two corners could leave next season definitely and Roger McCreary and Nehemiah Pritchett and then also Dreshawn Miller transfer out of West Virginia he was a junior last year in the West Virginia program he still has two more years of eligibility with Auburn he could leave also and I think he came to Auburn to get that experience and to get that exposure in what's been a pretty good defensive backfield that has seen guys go multiple times in the first two days of the NFL draft. You've had two first-round draft picks and Noah Igbenogany and Carlton Davis, and then you had Jamel Dean. I can't remember what round he was. Do you remember what round Jamel Dean was? I don't, and I can look that up for you. also got the Jalen Simpson and Nehemiah Pritchett numbers for you. So uh, Simpson was a, was a redshirt freshman in 2019. He only played four games last season. So he can he leave. He was considered a freshman. He's coming in as a redshirt sophomore this year, so he can leave if he wants to. Pritchett is also a junior. So, so you've got four, five actually, because Marco Domio can go. All guys in Auburn's top five of their cornerback depth chart Marco Domio, Roger McCreary, Jalen Simpson, Dreshawn Miller, and Nehemiah Pritchett. All five of those players could go to the NFL draft if they wanted to. That means Kamal Haddon. You have to guess that two of those guys probably leave. I'm probably more inclined to say that it would be a Dreshawn Miller if he gets to play enough this year. Or definitely Roger McCreary than whoever the second guy is. Whether it's Nehemiah Pritchett if he wants to try his hand. Or if it's Dreshawn Miller whoever it is, but I would say that at least two guys leave. That would mean Kamal Haddon would be 
a guy who was definitely in the rotation. And a lot of times yep. in college football, you need four quarterbacks. Four quarterbacks are going to see the field. And if two guys leave, he moves up from fifth or sixth on the depth chart now to third or fourth on the depth chart. And he would be playing significant snaps for Auburn next year. Now, and Auburn just lost one of two commitments that they had at the cornerback position in this previous recruiting class that signed back in February because Kamal Haddon was a part of it. Now you have just one guy out of this previous class that's stepping on campus, so you're still looking pretty young at the quarterback or the cornerback position. And then you also take a look at next year's recruiting class. You have just one a part of it at the moment that is a quarterback. That's Opelika product, local product, Jarrell Stinson, the speedster, once again, out of Opelika. So you've got two youngsters coming in, but that's not enough. And looking at the recruits that are coming in, they're both three stars. That's not enough. You need more. That is going to be a primary concern, I feel like, for Auburn and this year's recruiting class to possibly not only go and find transfers. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they go and get transfers out of next year's transfer portal crop, not for this season, but for the 2022 fall. Right. I wouldn't be shocked if they try and go and find some experience there, depending on how many pieces leave. But you're definitely going to be looking to add some freshmen in this in this year's recruiting class. And I think this kind of harps back to what you were saying earlier. I don't want to say that these players are necessarily misusing the transfer portal opportunities that they have now, but I definitely think that they could have they could have thought about long-term playing time specifically for for Haddon and Chris Thompson if some of these guys leave I think I think if we don't know let's just assume that we don't know that Kaufman is coming if a guy like Chris Thompson Jr. is leaving and that's one of the things that he's he's just concerned about that's just speculation I think if I'm Chris Thompson I would I would speculate over Auburn bringing in new guys this offseason in the transfer portal, guys like Kaufman. And then I would also speculate about other players in, in your same position group leaving. I think you got to be able to look at both sides of it and say, well, they might, bring, might be bringing in new guys, but at the same time, there's some really, really good talent at this cornerback spot right now that could potentially leave for the draft this season. So either way, I could potentially be getting playing time. It's just a matter of whether or not both of those things happen, which I think is unlikely. So if I'm Chris Thompson or Kamal Haddon, I would be staying. I don't understand. I understand why they're leaving but I don't understand how you could not look at the long-term picture and say okay I've definitely got a shot to play at a power five school specifically in the SEC why don't I just stick around for another year and see what I've got going for me because you're not going to be able to get that same offer anywhere else I don't feel like I think it's very unlikely that that Haddon or Chris Thompson end up at another SEC school a powerhouse SEC school Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. You can also watch the show there every day. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Switching gears here to the conversation that we teased coming into this. What position groups might Auburn be best serve attacking in the transfer portal for these next couple of months? that they've got leading up into the next season. They've got an off-season period here where guys, they're not practicing. They've got some time to fill some some holes that maybe they saw in the spring before guys left. Now you've also got guys leaving, so there are definitely roster holes that they can fill. They have scholarships to fill. Where might Auburn be best served going in the transfer portal in terms of position groups? 
what is your primary concern at the moment? Well, outside of secondary that we were just discussing, I think the two the two position groups that you really have to look at and say Auburn could definitely use some experience help there is wide receiver and offensive line. I think you could go after either of those positions and it would make Auburn fans happy if you picked up at least one guy in the offseason. I think right now, even though Auburn's got a ton of experience on the offensive line, they didn't play necessarily the SEC caliber standards, at least in my opinion. I think a lot of fans would agree with me on that. And then as far as the receiver group goes, I don't, I'm not saying that these guys aren't talented. I'm just saying that there's a severe lack of experience and you say, well, who would Auburn go after in the transfer portal right now that is an experienced wide receiver that's gotten playing time? Well, you look at it and there's not a lot of guys right now that have that have had game time reception statistical experience even though there are some talented names out there, guys like Theo Howard at Oklahoma. He's still out there. Jordan Johnson from Notre Dame. There, but there's not there's not a lot of experience as far as game time, experience, playing time goes. So I, I, would, I would understand if Auburn would try, kind of trend more in the direction of, okay, well, let's see if we can shore up this offensive line because, again, not a lot of talent there, even though there's a lot of experience. And it would just nice, be nice to, to – I understand Auburn's had injury problems in the past. Uh, Brandon Council's dealing with something like right now. It would be nice to be able to kind of shore that, that position group up and be able to say, okay, well, if one of these guys goes, goes down or if Council is not necessarily 100%, we can, be, we can rotate him out with a guy that we feel comfortable with instead of – what Auburn was trying to do last year, it was really, really egregious in the Iron Bowl. You could tell just how how detriment how detrimental not having an offensive line was for Bo Nix. And I understand it was Alabama, but I think Auburn would have had a little bit of a better chance had they been able to actually b- block. Um, I think that was the case in a lot of games last year. But I think again, wide receiver, offensive line. If you pick up one guy this offseason, I think it's going to make Auburn fans very happy. Wide receiver is the place that I would be looking primarily at the moment after you watch the spring game. Auburn's receivers were less than impressive, less than average. I felt like at times a lot of drops. The only receiver that I felt like really showed out for Auburn was Elijah Canyon. He really he showed up to be Bo Nix's bailout guy. He kind of took over that Seth Williams role. He was a possession receiver or a red zone threat. He was the guy who scored the touchdown. I really enjoyed watching Elijah Canyon during the spring game, but none of the other receivers, I can't, I, can't, I can't say the same for any of the other guys. So I think receiver, you could really... Now, granted, you were missing Capers and Chetra Jackson due to injury, and you would like to see those guys join the room, but I still think Auburn would be best served with going and getting a veteran receiver presence out there in the transfer portal that you were talking about. I don't have a lot of hope that a guy like Theo Howard comes to Auburn that's like the guy at wide receiver right now in the transfer portal. I don't have a whole lot of hope that Theo Howard's going to end up in an Auburn jersey just because that doesn't seem very likely that Auburn's going to go be able to go and get out in Oklahoma transfer, right? Like you would expect like Ohio State or Alabama or another big name university out there to go and be able to snag Theo Howard because you look at what the Ohio State wide receiver transfer did. Guess where he ended up at? Where do you Alabama. At? There you go. So you're seeing that happen in the transfer portal. Rich or staying rich? More of on the line to the other side of this break. Which is more likely, Florida repeating as SEC East champions or Florida finishing third in the SEC East? We talk about that in just a moment. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
Follow ESPN 1067 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 1067. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dahl Pound. Coming up at 3 o'clock, we are going to replay our conversation with Chad Pruitt, Auburn Men's Basketball Director of Operations. We aired that on yesterday's show, but it was so good. Anybody who missed it on yesterday's show, we want you to be able to hear it today as well. Great interview with Chad Pruitt. We're going to go back to that again at 3 o'clock today on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You don't want to miss that interview with, once again, Chad Pruitt, Auburn Men's Basketball Director of Operations. Now, let's go back to little SEC football talk here, which is more likely... Florida repeating as SEC East champions or Florida finishing third in the SEC East. I think you look at the SEC East hierarchy this year, everybody, a lot of folks out there, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of folks out there are drinking the Kool-Aid, the red and black Kool-Aid. That's nasty. That, that That's nasty to think about. But that, everybody's drinking what Georgia is offering right now. People like this Georgia program to win the SEC East, hands down. There's not many people giving anyone else in the East a shot. And then the real question is, and some people are talking about them as national championship contenders, but my question to those people are, are you ready to say that they're going to beat Alabama and then they get really uncomfortable, every single one of them? So with that being said, you look at Florida, and you would think Florida finishes second, but there are some other teams that are optimistic in the SEC East. Missouri, Kentucky, two teams that were bottom half, middle of the pack in the SEC East. This year, return a lot. You're bullish on one of those teams. You really like this Missouri team to have a standout season if they can win some of the games that have tripped them up over the years, have kind of gotten swept up by the middle of the pack in the SEC East. Florida still as talented as ever when you look at how they recruit but they lose a lot this could be an opportunity for some of these other sec east teams to maybe jump past florida and maybe get into maybe throw their hat into the ring a bit or have a standout year by their by their standards you could look at tennessee kentucky missouri any one of those teams all three of those teams i feel like their fan bases are somewhat optimistic going into this football season what say you which is more likely florida repeating as sec east champions or florida finishing third in the sec east well i think to answer this question you have to be able to first answer this question how confident are you in dan mullen as a recruiter because he is having to replace so much talent, specifically on the offensive side of the ball this season. And it's kind of been the storyline for Mullen at Florida. He's, he's never had a five-star recruit. Not yet. And so you say, well, what other teams in the SEC East, of all places, are recruiting better than Florida? It's like, well, you look at what t- Kentucky is doing. They just had six NFL draft picks. And now they're finally starting to get some four-star guys. So they're, they're starting to get up there as far as recruiting talent and player development. Uh, they're starting to kind of even out with Florida. So I think you have to be able to ask yourself, how confident am I in in Dan Mullen developing some of these young recruits that are not five-star guys, that are not Georgia-caliber players, and getting to that second spot in the East? I think that's the first question you have to ask. My answer is I think Missouri right now 
is is going to be able to kind of kind of play out with them as far as play not necessarily talent but I think I think the coaching staff at Missouri is going to get them on an even playing field so I think if there's going to be a team that overthrows Florida it's Missouri so I say I'm not that confident in Mullen therefore I think the rest of the SEC East has a shot um, but, and then the second question you have to you have to ask is like where do those losses fall outside of maybe Missouri on their SEC schedule. And let's look. They open up the season against Alabama. You and I would probably agree. In SEC play. In SEC play. That's game three on their schedule. Right, right. So you and I would agree that that's probably a loss. I would say that that is definitely a loss. And then you have to go and play Tennessee, which, like you said, a lot of Tennessee fans are really optimistic. Tennessee's been doing pretty well in the recruiting class. McDonald's plays a huge part in that. So I, I think I think I think this Tennessee team's not going to be great, but I think they could manage to get six or seven wins this season. I think this I think I have a lot of faith in Josh Heupel. So folks are excited in Knoxville about the Tennessee quarterback situation. Guys like Hendon Hooker coming into the program, and Hendon Hooker was one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC over the last couple of years he was, at yep. Virginia Tech. So. Believe it or not, Tennessee fans are actually kind of excited about the quarterbacks, even though they've had some really talented running backs leave their program. I think Tennessee is a, in a really good spot year one under Hypel. I think they're going to be able to do a lot of good things on the offensive side of the ball. That being said, I don't know if they can go in game four uh, and, beat, and beat Florida on the road, but that's a game to look out for. Then, talking about Kentucky being able to recruit and be able to put guys in the NFL, Florida has to then go and play on the road against the Wildcats. And you say, well, they're definitely having some quarterback issues right now, but I think they're, def- I think they're going to get those fixed. And it, again, I don't necessarily think that matters because we look at what Kentucky's identity has been over the past few years under Stoops. It's been able to ground and pound, run the football. It's only been run the ball. Be efficient whenever you have to be in the passing game. And I think Bo Allen or Joey Gatewood's going to fill that role. I think if you give Gatewood enough reps, he's going to develop into a, a mid-tier SEC quarterback. And I think that's all that Kentucky needs is a game manager throwing the football. You have to go play at Vanderbilt. That's a win. And then you have to go play before your bye week. You have to pay, play at LSU. And I'm not necessarily saying that LSU is going to be really good this year. You and I have a similar opinion on this. I don't think they're going to be great by any means, but offensively, I think LSU is going to be able to keep up with them. Look at what They beat them last year. They beat them last year. Look at what Florida... Thankful to a shoe, but... <laughs> Look at what Florida's returning on the offensive side of the football this year. 41% of their returning production, that's 125th in the country. I don't think... Florida's going to be able to keep up with LSU offensively. I'm penciling that as a loss in Baton Rouge. Then you get your bye week. You go and play Georgia. Wait, you're penciling that as a loss? I think it's going to be a loss. I don't think Emory Jones is going to be able to keep up offensively with who I believe will be the starter in Max Johnson. That's just my I wouldn't opinion. be so confident, but I'll at least say it's a losable game for Florida considering they have to go to Tiger Stadium. I, I understand that. I understand that. Maybe I shouldn't be so bullish about it. but Because I'm pretty down on LSU, too. I wouldn't go as far as to say penciling it in is a loss, but I, hey, I, li- I like the confidence. After that, they got that bye week, and then they play Georgia, who we both agree is right. winning the SEC East. So that's another that's – another, that, of, of the definite losses on the schedule, you got to be able to say Georgia and Alabama are definite losses. I, yes. I don't see Florida get it, getting past either of those teams. You get to play South Carolina on the road. South Carolina going through a lot of overhaul – both at the coaching position, coaching staff positions, and on and on the offensive and defensive side of the football, I think that's a win. And then you go and play at Missouri, two two games later, and I'm not I'm not going to say I'm penciling that as a loss. I'll rephrase the LSU game. I think it's a definitely like you said, losable game. But Missouri, 
I think they're not a very talented team, but their schedule lines up favorably for them. And I think in November, the Tigers are going to be able to kind of pull one over Florida, and I think they'll be able to get over the hump and get that second spot in the East. That being said, how much does that matter at that point? Because you're looking at Florida having three or four losses, going five and three or four and four. That's not good enough to, to get second. That's not good enough to get second. I'm not... I'm not going to sit out here and say that Florida for sure is going to finish third in the SEC East because I think that the most likely thing that occurs is that Florida finishes second in the East, but I definitely think it's more likely in our scenario here because what we started this segment off saying was which is more likely, Florida repeating as SEC East champions or Florida finishing third in the SEC East. So finishing second is not an option here. Which is more likely, championship or finishing third? And I think in those scenarios, it's more likely that they finish third because I think that the gap between Florida and Missouri, who I believe has a pretty good chance, I think, to finish second based on their schedule. So I'll go and look at Missouri's football schedule for this upcoming year to prove that point. But you look at Florida and Missouri's gap, I think it's actually a lot closer than Florida and Georgia's. I think Georgia has a much larger gap, borderline a gorge, in front of them and every other team of the SEC East. So for me, I think it's more likely that Florida gets overtaken by someone else that's trying to surpass them in the standings. I agree. And so we'll go and look at Missouri's schedule since you just went through the entire Florida schedule. Missouri has a favorable schedule this year, which is not uncommon for Missouri or any other SEC East team. But you look at their 2021 football schedule, they open against Central Michigan, victory, They do get a challenge week two. They have to go to Kroger Field and play at Kentucky in week two. But if we think that this Missouri team can surpass Florida, they have to be able to beat this Kentucky team. And what Mm -hmm. I like when I compare those two squads, there's an absence of the passing game at Kentucky who will still be figuring out their quarterback situation heading into week two, whether it's Joey Gatewood or the Levis kid out of Penn State. They're going to still be figuring things out of the offensive end. Missouri, on the other hand, is going into year two of Connor Basilek. I expect them to be a lot further along at that point, so I would take Missouri in that game right away. So now you got 2-0. and Then you beat Southeast Missouri, 3-0. and You got Boston College on the road. Tricky because you're having to go up into the Northeast. That's a long trip away from Missouri. You're, Boston College is a really talented quarterback in Phil Jerkovic. They're, they're not a bad squad. You're sure. not in Kansas anymore, Toto. <laughs> and you're going up to Boston College now. That game doesn't matter for SEC East standing, so I really don't care what happens in that Boston College game. But after Boston College, you get Tennessee at home. That's a winnable football game, but still I will credit it as a 50-50 game. Because Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, they're filled with 50-50 games in the first half of the season. Whichever team wins more of those 50-50 games, they're going to be higher up in the standings. There's going to be a lot of – you're still going to see the pecking order. You're not going into this season with a preconceived pecking order in the SEC East after Mm -hmm. Georgia. There's going to be a lot of shuffling early on. And whoever wins those games, Missouri gets the two teams that they will be competing closest with early on in Kentucky and Tennessee they get those in the first five weeks of the season if they beat both of those teams well now you just got to beat Florida and you're you're finishing second in the SEC East barring disaster 
against your SEC West opponents, which are Texas A&M and Arkansas. But we'll keep going through the schedule here. After Tennessee, you've got North Texas. That's a win. So at most here, maybe you're looking at one loss, and it was because you weren't in Kansas anymore, and you went to Boston College, and you lost over there. So maybe you're one loss, and it's out of conference. Then you got Texas A&M at home. Once again, they've got some breaks here on their schedule. I would much rather be playing Kentucky at one of the worst home environments in SEC football at Kroger Field and get Tennessee and Texas A&M at home, whereas those become exponentially more difficult if you're on the road because those are two of the loudest road environments in college football, period, in stop. And you got those teams at home. And early in the season, they're both figuring out their quarterback situations. They're part of the commonality in the SEC where most teams don't know who's playing quarterback for them. If you're able to beat Texas A&M, you could be no loss or one loss going into your bye week on October 23rd you then get Vanderbilt on the road please you better beat Vanderbilt you beat Vanderbilt you could be 8-0 or one loss going into the Georgia game you take your second loss there or your first loss you get South Carolina at home once again I go back to please beat South Carolina at home and then you get Florida at home which look if you're if you're two losses here Florida by that point in the season on November 20th would also already have two losses having lost to Georgia and Alabama you just went through their schedule. It's possible for them to have another loss in addition to that. Possibly an LSU could upset them in Tiger Stadium. So you look at the schedule here. Missouri has a favorable first 10 games of their schedule, whereas Florida is playing something a lot more difficult. And then Missouri's cross-conference opponent that they play every year, their protected rival, is Arkansas, which I also think should be a win. And you look at them, they beat them last year. I think that Missouri's still a better team going into this season. Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri has a real opportunity this football season to possibly put his stamp and get a real vote of confidence from not only the Missouri fan base, but the Missouri Athletic Department if he can find a way to sneak into second place. It would be sneaking, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. And I think it's a lot more likely that Missouri sneaks into second place with this schedule that we just went through instead of Florida finding a way to beat Georgia. That's what it comes down for Florida, is finding a way to not get upset by other teams in the East and then beating Georgia. I think it's more likely that you see Missouri be able to sneak with this schedule into second than Florida being able to overtake Georgia, considering you also have to play Alabama on the Western side. And I I don't see Georgia taking multiple losses in the SEC either. And so you have to beat Georgia, and I I don't see that happening. I completely agree. It's something that you brought up at the top, is I I think that Georgia and Alabama are just in a completely different realm of their own. You talk about the the, something that we've harped on so many different times on this show, is one of the, the best teams in all of college football. Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. Outside of those five teams, there's there's not a lot of programs that are consistently at the top of not only of their, their conference, but of the college football world. And I think with all of the production Florida's losing, it is much more likely for them to finish third and have a team like Missouri not necessarily get lucky, but just play their schedule like they should. Beat the teams that they should and then get lucky against a team like Florida and finish second. Let's head to a quick break here, and then we'll wrap up our number one on the other side of this break. John Kuhn, former teammate of Aaron Rodgers, is a little bit more optimistic about Aaron Rodgers being a Packer this upcoming season than most. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break. You're listening to On the Line. 
You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. we got five minutes left in hour number one. Before we wrap up hour number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Happy Friday, that means a new episode of Shark Tank at 7 on ABC. An athlete from Houston shoots his shot with the Sharks as he introduces a portable basketball shooting machine. Some movie selections for tonight, Deadpool is on FX at 7, while Melissa McCarthy stars in Spy on FX Movies at 6.45. Oscar-winning film Saving Private Ryan is on Paramount at 5.30. In live sports, the NBA has a pair of games on ESPN beginning at 6.30 with an Eastern Conference rivalry between the Boston Celtics and the Chicago Bulls. At 9, two Western Conference teams embroiled in a situation that could land them in the play-in tournament. The Lakers are at the Trailblazers to close out the league schedule. Friday night, college baseball, number 18, Florida State, and number 7, Notre Dame, get the action started at 5 on ACC Network. Out in the Big 12, number 6, Texas, at number 3, TCU, is at 6.30 on ESPNU. Auburn and LSU will square off at 7 on SEC Network. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one here of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. I tease this coming into the segment. John Kuhn seems to be a little bit more optimistic about his golf buddy Aaron Rodgers being a Packer next season. Maybe most people are, including that of Brett Favre. But John Kuhn talked with Rodgers since the news broke last Thursday of the rating NFL MVP's dissatisfaction with his time in the Packers organization on an appearance Wednesday night on the Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Radio. Kuhn spoke a little bit about the situation and a lot of this quote here from an ESPN article. Once again, you can go and find this on ESPN.com. John Kuhn says Aaron Rodgers conflicted about future with Green Bay Packers. This is what he had to say. If I used my gut and I used everything that I hear from the Packers organization, it makes me feel really, really good. If I use the football business acumen and see the tough spot that the Packers are in right now with that first-round pick that they used last season on Jordan Love or last year on Jordan Love, that's what makes me pull back a little bit. I still think it's somewhere around 70-75% that Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback for the Packers this year. All right, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I don't know necessarily how reliable that source is, considering he's not part of the organization, right? But he is a good friend of Aaron Rodgers' golf buddies. Like I said, I I don't know how much they stock, speak. Okay, well, I, I I can okay, understandable. I don't know how much stock I put into that because it's it seems like he's been pretty pretty vocal about. His stance, he's kind of given the, pro, uh, the the Packers a lot of ultimatums as far as things go. And here's my, my perspective on it. If you are going to get upset about the organization drafting your, your replacement in the next four or five seasons, you have to be able to say, if you're, if you're, if you're coming into this situation and saying that it's, it's your job and that, the, that, that you're going to hold them to a higher standard, you shouldn't then say about drafting a quarterback it's it's not it's not your concern if 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 Brett Favre is going to say I didn't want to I didn't want to have to coach my replacement whenever whenever Rodgers was drafted and Brett Favre was the quarterback I didn't want to have to coach my replacement because this is my job Rodgers said something uh, is very similar it's like okay then you shouldn't be able to say to the organization you shouldn't draft a quarterback and you should and I'm giving you all these ultimatums. You should fire your general manager because I'm the one in charge here. If you're saying that this is a job and this is a hierarchy, you're just a player on the team. 
You don't have you don't have the ability to say you should fire your general manager. You shouldn't draft a quarterback to to be behind me. It's not your place to say that because you yourself have said this is this is a job. This is this is what I do. You're, I'm a player on this team. You don't have the ability to say that because you're not the owner. You're not the general manager. You're not the head coach. Just because you've had an illustrious career doesn't mean that you're any any better or any higher than those other the, those other guys. There's a reason that they're there for a reason. Otherwise, Aaron Rodgers would be the GM. So this is my opinion. John Kuhn, I don't know how much how much stock I put into that conversation, but even if it is true, Rodgers shouldn't be in this position to begin with. He's just a player on the team. Wow. That's just my thought. You're definitely in the minority there. A lot of people are on Aaron Rodgers' side in this. And maybe that's something we could talk about more in hour number two, but I like to hear dissenting opinions. It's always good for the discourse. We got hour number two coming up. At the start of hour number two, we'll be playing our conversation with Chad Pruitt, Auburn Men's Basketball Director of Operations. Stay tuned for that. You are on the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. And we have a special guest with us today. We've got Chad Pruitt, Director of Operations for Auburn Men's Basketball Program, Coach we appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show today. Hey, absolutely, man. Glad to be you guys. War Eagle. Coach, seven years into your time with the Tigers, it's kind of hard to believe that it's been that, that long that we have seen this coaching staff here, and, it, and it's great to see what the program's been able to do here on the Plains. What's it been like building this program and seeing this program grow from where it was when this coaching staff first got here all the way to a Final Four appearance just a couple of years ago? Yeah, it's almost surreal, to be honest with you. You think about when we came in, you know, just the struggles that, that Auburn basketball was kind of going through. Um, you know, obviously we knew the talent gap was there and, and we had to bring in some more talent. But, you know, you brought it up that the coaching staff has been phenomenal. For the most part, have all stayed together. Um, several of us have stayed together and been there. And, and that cohesiveness and just the ability to work together, you know, on a daily basis has been very instrumental on – you know, and, and what we're doing here and what we've been able to build. It's just been, uh, it's been really fun. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a tough process. Everybody thinks about the uh, final four run and that's fantastic. But, you know, we, we had, we took our lumps and bruises early. And um, even last year, you know, with a young group, you know, trying to, trying to get it back to where we were, but, you know, it's been, been a great ride. And a word that's often used to describe Bruce Pearl and this coaching staff when it comes to, you know, the teams y'all have developed in the past is is Pearl really knows how to develop chemistry between players. And just from my observations, every time Auburn steps out onto the court, they really seem to enjoy each other like no other team I've ever seen. And all, all, all that to ask, what has been your favorite part of being a part of this coaching staff and what drives you and makes you enjoy being a part of this program all that much more? Well, you said it. It starts at the top, and and with with Bruce Pearl and his leadership and his passion. You know, his his passion on a daily basis. Is that way in the office every day? You know, just trying to get better. And I think when you when you have a leader like that, it's contagious. Um, you know, players want to play for him. Coaches want to coach with him. 
and it just it, it builds an environment where you know we're able to to walk together in this journey together, you know, working hard together, doing all those things together, and and, and put yourself in a position where and you look back and I'll take for example the year we went to the Final Four with Jared and Bryce, you know, Tumor and Horace and that group, Anthony Macklemore, Danielle Pierrefort, et cetera. You know, those guys have been with us for a little bit, and the chemistry was off the chart. I mean, it was it was as high as I've ever ever seen at any level. And the guys really loved each other. They played for each other. They played for the person beside them. We constantly talked about playing for your brother, you know, being there for your brother in all aspects of life. And so, you know, those were those were unbelievable times. We tried to kind of reproduce that last year by getting a young group and, and trying to bring those guys along and and, you know, we lost two or three of those guys. And so now we're back into a, a another kind of a rebuild, not so much with the talent, but just from the chemistry standpoint. And the, and the chemistry is everything. Uh, you have to have the talent, obviously, to have a chance to be great. Um, but the teams who find a way to to bond together and to play as one are the teams who make those deep runs in the, in the tournament. So, you know, that's the, that's the task that we have before us right now. Coach, speaking about – this new crop of players coming in, some really talented players that have signed with the program. What are your thoughts on this new group coming to the Plains? Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of excitement. I know there's a lot of excitement across the Auburn family and Auburn Nation. Um, you know, everywhere I go, people want to want to talk about, you know, the, the guys we have coming in. And we are. We're excited. And, um, you know, we, we what we wanted to do is we wanted to get a little quicker um, we did that, but we also have some size coming in and um, some guys that can really score the basketball. So, you know, we feel like, you know, at least on paper, we've made ourselves better. Um, but we hadn't, we hadn't seen, we hadn't practiced one day together, obviously. So, you know, we'll, we'll see a lot of that here in the next 30, 30 days or so when those guys get on campus. There'll be a lot of them will come on campus, the, uh, you know, around that, that May 18th, 19th time. And then, uh, a couple more of them will come the 1st of June. So, you know, by the middle of June, we've had a, a couple of times where we've had them all together. We'll have a better idea of what we have. But, again, just so excited about, you know, the group that um, they've, they've been brought in. I think you look at what our coaches have done, and, you know, all of our coaches have worked really, really hard to put together an unbelievable group of guys, um, you know, with some high character, which is what, you know, Auburn's all about, trying to win on the court but also off the court as well. And like you mentioned, there are going to be a lot of new faces on this team, specifically in the starting lineup this upcoming season. But of these new guys that are coming in, which player do you think is going to be making an impact early? What should fans be looking at as far as this new group? Who's the player that stands out to you immediately? Well, um, you know, that's to be honest with you, I don't, I don't know that yet. Um, you know, we've we've obviously tried to. Um, put together some some things that we needed on our on our team to complete us. Um, you know, you got Alan Flanagan coming back, who obviously you know improved dramatically from his freshman to sophomore year, and so we wanted to put some pieces around him with some of the other guys that we have. Um, you know, and kind of fill some holes, and we've done that with with obviously with Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. You know, coming in front court, you know, guys that are that, that are bigger uh, and guys that. that you know, have been at the highest level and, and know what it takes to, to play well. But again, they're, they're young, especially Jabari. You know, you got a, you got a freshman, so you just don't know. And we saw that a little bit with our group this year. If you go back and look at what we, some of the growing pains we had this year as a team, I would say a lot of those came down to just inexperience and, um, you know, being so young. And we, I think we lost five or six games by, 
by three points or so, four points or less. And so, you know, we went seven and eleven in the league and could have easily, you know, been ten or ten have ten or eleven wins in the league or even more. So uh, there's a fine line between in this league between winning and losing. And hopefully we brought in enough to be able to do that. Coach, the the game is changing in college basketball and collegiate athletics by the day. What's it been like seeing the game evolve, not only on the court but off the court, over the last couple of the seasons and even into this offseason? Yeah, it has, it has changed dramatically, and I think the transfer portal has made uh, made a huge difference. Um, you know, even though we're probably not huge fans of, of that, I think you've got to uh, – you got to go that route nowadays, and I think you see you've seen some of the better teams do that. Um, Arkansas comes to mind with being able to put, you know, seven or eight new guys together and, and form some chemistry with the group they had last year, and then you know, and, and make a run. And so, um, you know, it's it's something that we've we've had to adjust to. Um, as far as the style of game, I think that has changed in the last few years. I, I think we were kind of on the uh, cutting edge of that, you know, just two or three years ago with our run. Um, you know, smaller guys that can spread the floor and all shoot the ball from the perimeter, um, you know, play at a fast tempo. And, you know, we were really good at it. Um, you know, other other teams in the league kind of have followed that path as well. And, um, you know, that, that's the way we like to play. It's an exciting brand of basketball. It's easy to recruit to because guys want to play with freedom. And nobody gives more freedom on the offensive end than, than Coach Pearl. And then, you know, obviously defensively, we want to continue to play with unbelievable energy and passion and, and fly around and make plays. And, and um, you know, we were not really able to do that last year. We were a little bit bigger than we than we anticipated being and, and played some bigger guys, which doesn't always lend lend itself to uh, more productive productivity on the defensive end the way we like to play. So we're excited about this group, um, getting them in and going to work. Got a long way to go, as everybody does at this time of year. We were talking earlier about you know just the just the growth from a player development standpoint and a talent standpoint earlier over the few seasons here uh, at Auburn with Bruce Pearl. But what has it been like to be a part of this culture shock as Auburn has risen to national prominence in the college basketball world? You know we've seen you along with the rest of Pearl staff take this program for being what was for an extended period of time quite honestly a lower tier SEC program. You know you've taken them and you've molded them into a a, a powerhouse in the Southeastern Conference and the fan response has been incredible. What is that transition been like from being in the back of Auburn fans' minds to being in, at the forefront of not just Auburn athletics, but also being one of the legitimate contenders across the college basketball landscape? Well, I mean, and that's what we came here for. I mean, I, you know, Bruce said that right away when when uh, when he got the job. Is they say, look, we came here to win. We didn't come here just to uh, to be mediocre and compete. All the words a lot of coaches will say. But we came here to win. We came here to get to the Final Four. We came here to win a national championship. So, again, it starts with expectations at the highest level, and that starts with Bruce Pearl. So it has been fun, man, really, really fun to kind of to walk through that with, with the Auburn family. And Auburn family is, is so passionate about their sports, and they have fallen in love with, with our teams and Auburn basketball. And it's been great to kind of walk through that together. And um, we put ourselves in a position with – you know, the success we had to make, you know, Auburn Arena and, and the jungle be as good as anywhere we travel to to play basketball. And, and the, the home court advantage is, is massive. Now, we didn't have that this year with, with the COVID. And so I think you can see how it affected us a little bit, you know, at home. But we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that place being a place that no no team wants to come into play. Um, 
you know, and we're going to be a little older this year. And so I think when you combine those two things, we, we've got ourselves in a position to, to be better. And, um, you know, that's the goal. So the, <coughs> excuse me, the goal is to always get back to the final four. And that's what we're trying to do. Coach, going back to your time at Lee Scott Academy, a program near and dear to my heart from doing play-by-play there the last couple of years for football, basketball, and baseball. And what's it been like adjusting from the high school level to the collegiate level? Maybe something that you didn't know going in that now you have learned over the past several seasons. Yeah, great question. I have such fond memories and, and love for you know for Lee Scott and, and, and other high schools. I was I was at even before then. I, I love the high school level. High school level is is a, is a place where you can obviously have a major impact on young men and young women that you're that you're coaching and leading. Uh, but I always knew I wanted to be at, at the at the level that I am now, at the Power Five conference, and particularly at Auburn University. So, you know, that was a goal of mine for a long time. And um, you know, the people ask me that a lot. I actually get a I get a ton of calls every year from high school coaches asking me, first of all, how I made that jump, and then what to expect if they if they do. And I, and I think the biggest thing for me, I, I, I think the basketball is pretty much the same. I, there's great high school coaches, and uh, you know, coaching at the high school level is 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 really good, and especially in some areas. So it's not so much the coaching, the X's and O's. I think the the pace of life, the pace of of what you do at this level, where you know all, all eyes are on you all the time, um, and then the pressure of winning and the pressure of being in those high intense environments are probably the biggest thing that stick out to me i had i had told people on many interviews and even in in uh in coaching clinics that i've been that i've spoken at you know i've always said as the clock runs down you know five four three two one and you know that when that clock runs down you're about to be state champion at a high school level is unbelievable and and a, and a feeling i'll never forget and i was fortunate enough to do that a few times in my high school career but uh, the the moment, the, my favorite moment, I think, and during the run we had to the Final Four was when we beat Kentucky, knowing that we're about to go to the Final Four. And I just remember, you know, Stephen Pearl sitting beside me and me just start just punching him, you know, like we're about to go to the Final Four. This is what you dream about. And so I've always said that the, the highs, the highs at the high school level are you know are the same, the highs at the college level, and I think those that's true. But the feeling I had when we were about to go to the Final Four was one that, that I, I will never forget. And it means so much to me because of you feel like the, the whole Auburn nation was was kind of walking beside you with it during that time. So it just made it really, really special. What was it like coming back to the Plains for that reception, too? Because I remember being downtown at Toomer's Corner, and I'll be quite honest about it, I have never seen – that many people flocking to Toomer's Corner before, even even for football, when Auburn won the national championship back in 2010. What was it like to see that reception coming back to the Plains as kind of this, the, achieving this goal that Auburn had never done before? Yeah, and I think that's what made it so special because it was Auburn basketball, and there hasn't been a ton of tradition. There's been some, but not a ton of tradition in Auburn basketball's history. For us to do it in basketball – and um, to do something that no team in the state of Alabama had ever been in the Final Four was just unbelievable. And I think the excitement that our fan base experienced, and again, walking through it beside us and with us, just made it even more special. And when we got back to the arena, even even more than Tumor's Corner, we got back to the arena and the thousands and thousands of fans that were there lined up um, you know, to walk up for our team and our families to walk through to get to get inside the arena 
that night was just something that I'll never forget. It's, uh, it's something that was awesome to be a part of. And, um, it just tells you and shows you the passion of, uh, of Auburn. And when Auburn family gets behind something and gets, gets involved in something, what, what can really happen? And, uh, you know, we want to do that again. It's something once you've done it once and you felt that you definitely want to be a part of that again. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Enjoyed it, guys. War Eagle. That was Auburn Men's Basketball Director of Operations, Chad Pruitt, on the line with us. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thank you to Chad Pruitt. Auburn Men's Basketball Director of Operations replaying that conversation from yesterday. It was so good. We wanted everybody to be able to hear it twice or anybody that missed it yesterday wanted to revisit that. Once again, Chad Pruitt, Auburn Men's Basketball Director of Operations. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390 at Point Gardner at Dawn Pound on Twitter. Let's go through a segment here, SEC Baseball Notebook. What else is happening around the conference this weekend in SEC Baseball? Auburn last night lost to LSU 8-3, to falling to 19-22 overall and 5-17 and in conference play. I think last night's loss pretty much shut the door on any hopes for an NCAA tournament appearance because in order to get to 13 wins in conference play now, Auburn has to win out in SEC play, which is very very unlikely but LSU's best is out of the way when you're talking about what they have in their pitching staff at least for a day starter Landon Marceau the best in the staff for them yesterday went six and a third he gave up seven hits three runs on those seven hits Auburn had the game at four to three by the sixth inning or excuse me the seventh inning and then in the top of the eighth LSU added three more runs and then one more in the ninth with Chelp pushed them past Auburn eight to three you look at the box score yesterday Auburn had nine hits and only three runs off of those nine hits you just didn't cash in you just didn't cash in on as many opportunities as LSU was able to 11 hits on eight runs but still not the worst start to the series I don't think because you look at what LSU's got in their pitching staff outside of the guys who pitched yesterday Landon Marceau Javen Coleman and Garrett Edwards this is a bottom half team in the SEC and team ERA. They are definitely in that same territory as Auburn, having trouble finding quality bullpen arms. It comes up today as who can hit. And if Auburn can out hit LSU, they're going to have a shot. They obviously didn't do a great job of it yesterday. But I don't think Auburn's pitching was horrendous outside of Carson Skipper hopping out on the mound and only going a third of an inning and giving up three runs with three walks he didn't give up a single hit and all three runs were charged to him due to those three walks he did have a strikeout for his lone out but still faced four batters and walked three of them so bad outing there for skipper but jack owen gave up four runs and six and a third that's enough to get you a win if you're hitting will morrison went two-thirds in relief for jack owen shut down that inning didn't give up anything And then Carson Swilling didn't give up a run, and Mason Barnett just gave up the one. So not a horrible outing for three of the five guys, or really four of the five guys. It was really just Carson Skipper who saw the game cracked wide open on him in the eighth, 
And a big part of that was because he walked guys. I really don't think it was an overall bad day for Auburn's pitching staff. It just wasn't good, and it definitely wasn't good enough at the plate either. Only scoring three runs isn't going to get this thing done for you, so Auburn's bats are going to have to liven up a bit if they're going to take this series against LSU. If you want to make the NCAA tournament, you had an interesting graphic last night that you watched the game. You saw, while you were watching the broadcast last night on SEC Network, the graphic that said percentage of SEC teams that make the postseason with blank amount of wins in SEC play Take me through those percentages. Yeah, so since 1999, the, 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 the SEC put out a graphic of SEC teams to reach in the NCAA tournament by conference wins. So it would show the amount of wins and then how likely that, the, that SEC team with that amount of wins was to reach the NCAA tournament. If you get 16 wins or more, you have a 100% chance since 1999 to reach the NCAA tournament. If you get 15, 76%. You get 14, 61%. You get 13, 36%. Not great odds, but you still got a chance there. And then at 12 wins, you have you had a 13% chance to make the NCAA tournament. So Auburn has to hit a minimum of 12 wins if they want to even sniff the opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament. And I agree with your point there saying sniff, but even 12 I don't think will be enough. 13 may not even be enough because you're missing a quality series out there. The Georgia series helps you a little bit, but not enough. They've trended downwards since the start of SEC play, where at times they were a top 15 team this year. If Auburn had taken two out of three against Florida, a team that is scorching hot at the moment, Auburn would have had a shot at 13 or 14 wins, but I don't think, or 13 wins that is, but Auburn's missing. Auburn hasn't beaten anybody good. Auburn, Auburn had like a, a, a truly a good team, like a top 25 team. Auburn doesn't have anything good on their resume. You kind of look at it in basketball with bubble teams. You got to have something sexy on your resume that catches somebody's eye to get you into the tournament. Auburn's missing that right now. Let's look, let's look around the rest of the SEC here. What else is happening this weekend? Florida is taking on Kentucky. After a slow start in SEC play, Florida stormed back into the contention to steal the regular season crown out of the SEC East. Kentucky started off hot, but since then they've dropped to sixth in the SEC East as well. That sweep against Auburn helped them out a lot, but since then they have fallen. With Vanderbilt playing Alabama this weekend and Tennessee against Missouri, Florida may need a sweep here, though, to avoid falling any more behind in the standings because Vanderbilt could take all three against Alabama Tennessee definitely should look to sweep Missouri so this Florida team's in a position if they want to stay in the race they might need to they might need to hold surf here and sweep Kentucky they've definitely got the toughest series of those teams at the top of the SEC East Mississippi State against South Carolina pitching is the name of the game in this series Mississippi State is the only team in the SEC that has north of 500 strikeouts which could be a problem for a South Carolina team that's only hitting 255, which is good for 13th in the entire SEC. Both teams are in the top four of the SEC in ERA. So that could be a bit of a fun series there between Mississippi State and South Carolina. Two top half teams in their respective conferences. South Carolina has been a bit of a surprise this year. Once again, sitting at 27 and 15 overall, 11 and 10 in conference play. They've been doing well on the mound. They kind of look reminiscent of some of those Auburn teams over the last couple of years that maybe couldn't hit very well, but they had lights out pitching also South Carolina's looking back at that series that they swept Florida earlier this year and thinking man good thing that we had that or else we might be on the bubble at the moment Alabama's taking on Vanderbilt and Music City in Nashville among the three teams at the top of the SEC East Tennessee has the easiest series when they take on Missouri but if Vanderbilt wants to keep pace that is currently tied with Tennessee at the top of the SEC East both at 14 and 7 
in conference play, they may need a sweep here against Alabama as well because I think you're looking at Tennessee sweeping Missouri this weekend. Alabama's in a solid position for the NCAA tournament on the other side of things, but the Crimson Tide certainly can help their case if they can take at least one game against Vanderbilt. Don't get swept because then you're going to have a losing record once again in conference play. I still don't think it hurts you too bad, but you can pretty much solidify your standing for an NCAA tournament spot, possibly even as high as a two seed in a regional somewhere if you can take at least one against Vanderbilt because like I said that looks good on a resume Vanderbilt at 32 and 10 this year and 14 and 7 in conference play Alabama at 28 and 15 and 11 and 10 in conference play Georgia has the unfortunate circumstances of having to take on the best team of the SEC right now Arkansas at 34 and 8 and 15 and 6 in conference play a series lost to Auburn last week is egregious for a Georgia team that could be heading toward the outside of the bubble Georgia right now 27 and 16 at 10 11 that looks good for the NCAA tournament but things could get murky if they take a sweep against the SEC's best and then you're sitting at 10 and 14 you've got a series against Florida next week Florida right now is trying to keep serve at the top of the SEC East if you were to go 0 and 6 or 1 and 5 over your next two series you're looking at 11 and 16 down the stretch and you're you you need some extra help you need your last series becomes very important for you to go out and win it so Georgia in a tough spot here losing that series to Auburn last weekend really hurt them so at least Auburn's playing a little spoiler with one of their rivals from across the border taking one against Arkansas would be huge for Georgia Ole Miss and Texas A&M this weekend a&M has trended down since the start of SEC play, which is probably something to do with its lackluster performance at the plate. They're sitting at 12th in conference play and batting average. A&M at 5-16 and 16 in SEC play. This is a big series for Auburn to keep an eye on, as well as who Missouri will be playing. Fortunately for Auburn, they play a series that they could squeeze out some wins in. They're playing LSU. They need to go and try and take two out of three here and win the next two against LSU just to try and make it to Hoover. A&M's going to try and avoid a sweep from Ole Miss that's destroying everyone at the plate batting 304 the only team above 300 in conference play and they're sitting at number one in the sec in that category texas a&m is going to have a hard time avoiding a sweep and keeping up and then missouri's taking on tennessee if auburn gets sweeps from old miss and tennessee against both of those teams auburn will be right back in the mix to go and play in hoover in the sec tournament so it'll be important to keep an eye on both of those two series this weekend in sec baseball and then like i said tennessee and missouri Tennessee's got a real chance to take control of the SEC East here. They should be by far looking to sweep here. It actually matters if Tennessee sweeps Missouri because next week they have to play Arkansas. And so if they were to you know lose two out of three next weekend, that's going to hurt them significantly. When you got Florida playing Georgia, Vanderbilt is playing Alabama and Ole Miss next week, or, or that's their schedule over these next two weeks. It's possible for Vanderbilt to take a loss in each of those series. Florida's in a similar boat. Once again, playing Kentucky and Georgia. Florida's got probably an easier stretch over the next two weeks. But sweeping this series can help Tennessee stay in the hunt to win the East when things get a lot more difficult next week against Arkansas, whereas Florida and Vanderbilt can both take a loss here, and then everybody could be tied after next week, depending on what happens in that Arkansas series. And then it'll be all about what happens in those final three games of SEC play in that final series coming up in about two weeks. So this is a big week. This is a moving and shaking week in the league, and also for Auburn, you're hoping that the two teams that are around you in the SEC standings, you're hoping they take 
they take sweeps to some really good baseball teams. Well, it's all about changing narratives for Auburn. I mean, up until this point, it's just kind of been the same thing over and over again, especially in SEC plays, losing these really close games that Auburn's been in against really good competition. Losing is a disease, and whenever you see your, your team lose again and again and again, the, the, the exact same way, it kind of it kind of gets contagious, and it's you just kind of come to expect it. And it's something that Auburn was trying to fight last night. It's like, okay, we're in this game with LSU. It's four to three. Let's get out of this inning and let let's get into this ball game and let's let's finish this game with a with a close win. And it was something that Auburn wasn't able to do in, in in the eighth. Like you said, Carson Skipper came out and just complete. I wouldn't say through the game, but it, it was it was over after he came out on the mound and pitched a third of an inning. But Auburn's got to be able to. You're change looking those. for a different word that rhymes with "through." He blew the game. Pun intended. I, I Man, that would have been. That I hate been to funny. say. I hate to say that so harshly, but look, you walked three, and all three of those guys scored. You faced four batters, and you walked three. And something that you mentioned, you know, LSU's rotation as far as far as the bullpen goes is very top heavy. Landon Marceau actually almost had his career high in strikeouts last night at twelve. He had eleven though. Uh, and, and and moving forward for Auburn, I think this team team is going to be able to bat more than better than LSU can. I think Auburn can take the next two games. And they like did it said, last weekend. Like you said, Missouri's not in a good spot right now, and Texas A&M isn't either. So this is could be potentially really good for the Tigers moving forward. On the other side of this break, we just found out Carrion Johnson's been picked up by a team in the NFC. Stay tuned for who picked him up and what it means for Johnson moving forward to the NFL. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes out till the drive with Bill Cameron coming up from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Lance, you discovered some interesting NFL news. Take us through it. Yeah, so I was I was scrolling through Twitter during the uh, the, the the Coach Pruitt interview, and uh, on Johnson's been picked up by the Eagles, uh, according to Adam Schefter. So that's that's gonna I think that's gonna be huge moving forward for for Johnson. We were taking a look at the uh, the Eagles depth chart, and it seems like that he would be the the second guy. I think Miles Sanders definitely is gonna hold on to that starting spot. Uh, then you have at second Boston Scott, at third Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, and then Jordan Howard at that fourth spot. I think Carrion is that that second guy in a one-two punch to go along with Sanders. So I think it's I think it's good for Carrion. The question is is can he continue to stay healthy? We've seen issues uh, w- with him as far as injuries are are concerned, both in college and in the, in, in the NFL. But I think this is really good for Carrion. I think this is good for Miles Sanders too. I think it is. I think it is as well to actually have a legitimate second guy to kind of go off of. They're kind of similar running backs. You're looking at Miles Sanders. Miles Sanders, who is five foot eleven, two hundred eleven pounds, he's not your biggest running back in the NFL. He's kind of average, and he's not a high volume guy either. He was 21st in carries this past season in the NFL. He only had 164 attempts, but on those carries. He had 867 yards, six touchdowns, and 5.3 yards per carry. Nothing drops, jumps off the page until you get to the 5.3 yards per carry. He wasn't a high-volume guy. 
He wasn't necessarily a bell cow. Once again, he was 21st in the league in attempts. But still, with that low volume, he was 133 yards away from an 1,000-yard rusher season. The six touchdowns isn't great. It was tied for 23rd in the NFL. Once again, I go back to not great, but he at least did show the propensity to be able to score. But what is great is he finished 7th in the league in yards per carry at 5.3. So that is probably your number one guy in the Philadelphia Eagles running back room. He's 24 years old after that start to his career in Philadelphia. They probably believe in the guy. I would be willing to bet they probably believe in Miles Sanders, but they're going to get him some help to ensure his longevity. But also, like you said, this is good for On Johnson. And we talked about this on yesterday's show or two days ago, whatever it was that On got waived. We talked about how it was good for On to find a location where there was somebody else that could help shoulder the load. That was what I liked so much about him originally going to Detroit but it didn't end up being that way. He ended up being the primary guy. He didn't end up shouldering the load. He ended up being the load carrier. And I felt like that wasn't good for on Johnson's health long-term, considering he's gotten hurt every single year that he's been playing football, stretching all the way back to college. on needed a place where somebody else could be the guy, but he can allow his versatility to help out the franchise and make the most of his snaps when he gets on the field. He makes a perfect number two to make a well-rounded backfield like if he was able to get and I'm not saying the Eagles aren't a great location for him I think the Eagles are a pretty good location for him and he's going to be linking up with a guy that he's probably familiar with and quarterback Jalen Hurts considering they played against each other in college I think this is a good spot for him though there were probably some other locations that would have been better like where you go to a backfield where there's a stud at running back like the Saints with Alvin Kamara and then go and get him to be able to play behind them but this is good too he's going to get to shoulder the load with Miles Sanders who's going to be their number one guy and I'm sure the Eagles are super excited about him at running back so this is a good move not only for the Eagles to help preserve Miles Sanders longevity but also I think it's a good move for for Kerryon Johnson who should be able to get some touches out of this but I do believe him to be number two on this depth chart well I think one of the words that comes up whenever you're talking about Kerryon is his versatility he was able to, to do a lot of things for Auburn uh, when he was there in college, somebody that could bounce outside and break tackles. And I think that's going to be a great compliment to Miles Sanders, who was kind of a speed power back kind of guy last season. I think it's going to be a fantastic one-two punch in Philadelphia, a guy that can can get between the tackles and be fast and hit guys and get first downs. And then a guy that can that can finesse you and get to the outside and, and get get past you in different ways. I think that's a great compliment to Miles Sanders. Switching gears here now away from the NFL, let's talk a little college football. I'm sure everybody saw where Jimbo Fisher said that he could, and I won't use the exact same language here, we're, we're, we're a family program, right? But Jimbo Fisher said that he could kick Nick Saban's tail or that he will kick Nick Saban's tail in football. And then Nick Saban was asked about that yesterday or, or over the past 24 to 48 hours. And he, and he said jokingly, in golf? <laughs> and, and, and he was he was humorous about it you know he was like oh in football hmm and then he went on to obviously compliment the Texas A&M program of course because what else are you gonna do Nick Saban's gonna you know deflect it like that but it definitely was it definitely was a funny moment there to see Nick Saban respond that way well let's talk about it that's how Nick Saban responded who might be the closest to Alabama and the SEC West because nobody was close to him last year A&M was one game away but you look at what happened on the field 
The score wasn't close, so was anybody really close to Alabama last year in the SEC West? And then the question that's begging an answer going into 2021 is, is anybody else legitimately closer than where A&M was last year? So that's my question to you. Is someone closer than what A&M was last year? Could someone actually give Alabama a game? Could someone actually give Alabama a run for the top of the SEC West? Who is it if you were going to have to choose somebody? If I had to choose somebody... I think it's got. Is there somebody? I do think, you think there is? I think the answer is no, simply because A and M had so much experience on that team last season, and they, they had good quarterback play. And you look at A and M this season. I was like, well, they're trying to start a freshman potentially in Haynes King, and we don't know necessarily how that's going to turn out. But starting freshman quarterbacks against Alabama is probably not recommended. So uh, I don't think A and M's. I don't think A and M's better than last year's team. I'll say that. If you're looking at a contender that I would have to choose. I think it would have to be between A&M and Ole Miss, but the answer is no. I don't think they're – I think the gap is significant. Ole Miss, really? Yes. I think – well, you look at look at what makes teams really good in the SEC. I think it's got to be – Why doesn't anybody want to pull Auburn up there? Um, That's it, where I'm going with this. I think it's got I think it's got to be an elite offense and, and, and decent quarterback play. And I think Auburn has one of those, but when it comes to elite – passing ability I think Ole Miss definitely takes the cake there but isn't their defense bad enough to jeopardize them everywhere else on their schedule well as long as you can keep up with them keep up with Alabama and score with them I think you definitely got a chance I'm not talking about though in the actual game against Alabama I'm talking about over the course of the season being able to win the SEC West you're saying that defense has been able to hold them out of being in that top spot over Alabama right I I think Ole Miss loses to some teams like one week Ole Miss could beat a good team one week Ole Miss could be capable of beating Auburn right but then the very next week they could lose to Arkansas they right right and have their quarterback throw six interceptions but I'm saying that uh, even though it is a boom or bust type of situation with Ole Miss I think they have more if I think they have more potential and I'm not saying that this coaching staff is going to make them more consistent on the defensive side of the ball so much so that they would be in competing for that second spot like legitimately but the talent gap between Alabama and the rest of the SEC West I think is incredibly significant this year simply because of quarterback returning production because I understand Alabama doesn't have a quarterback coming back but they've got a five-star kid in Bryce Young and he's been in the program for a year too so A&M doesn't bring one back Auburn brings one back but they had a horrendous offensive line they've got really young receivers and they got a defense that was wishy-washy at best last year LSU uh, has two quarterbacks that they could use. They've got good receiver talent, but that defense was so bad last year. I think it was the worst pass defense in the entire country. Ole Miss had a really bad defense, but they've got some weapons in Lane Kiffin. I could never count him out against Alabama. We saw how well Ole Miss played them last season, at least for three, three, three quarters or so. Arkansas, not even close. And then Mississippi State, I think, I think Mississippi State's got a chance to be decent, but I don't think they're going to be second team in the SEC or coming over anywhere close to the top. Mississippi State's chances at being a good football team this year revolve around what they've got going on on the offensive side of the ball. Last year, got away from their transfer quarterback from Stanford, had to move on to a young guy. How much more does he take a step forward they've got a good defense and they showed that last year in that game against Georgia and being able to hold close to Georgia late but still I'm not trusting the air raid at Mississippi State at all I'm going to go in a different direction here than you are I'm going to say Auburn legitimately is probably or or I'll say this out of the group of Auburn Texas A&M and LSU it will be one of those three teams that finishes second in the SEC West mm-hmm. I don't truly believe 
that there is a team in the SEC West that I would be willing to say will move past Alabama and win the SEC West. It's it's Alabama's division this year, I think, going into the year. That's and even Alabama has some roster holes that they have to fill on the offensive side of the ball. But regardless, Alabama's reloading. They've got the talent. I think Alabama right now. You go in, you have to look at them as by far. You might pencil in, you might pencil them into the SEC championship already. But if you're asking me who I think finishes second, it's going to come out of the group of Texas A&M, LSU, and Auburn. And I say that because all three of those teams are more talented than everyone else in the SEC West. Ole Miss, they're more talented than Ole Miss. They're more talented than Arkansas, and they're more talented than Mississippi State. All three of those teams, and I'm willing to bet on talent and say one of those three teams will finish second. You're you're asking me. LSU, Auburn, A&M versus the field. I'm taking, excluding Alabama, of course. So then you got the Mississippi schools and Arkansas. Uh, I would bet on the talent at A&M, LSU, and Auburn to finish second by by season's end. I think that there's more of a propensity for one of those teams to find consistency over the course of a 12-game season because of how they recruit and the depth of talent on their roster as opposed to Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. Arkansas still is going to be fortunate to try and get to a bowl game, so we'll exclude them from this conversation. I believe Ole Miss offensively will probably have things moving along just fine going into this season, but I still question the defense that doesn't seem to be Lane Kiffin's forte. If they're still giving up 30 a game, they still have shots to lose to teams like Auburn like they did last year and worse. And then Mississippi State, I don't trust that the air raid can work in the Southeastern Conference for the main reason that they have not been able to establish a receiving core or a quarterback that can consistently keep that offense moving because in the span of 15, 20 seconds, you can be off the field and your defense is right back on with three straight incompletions, right? It's just not a rest be for success for success they've got a pretty good defense but it it, it did not look good on them last year and I'm not so sure that it'll look good on them this year and Mississippi State's also far less talented than some of these other teams that they're playing the air raid does not bridge that gap if anything it widens it because once again clock management you end up putting your defense on the field infinitely longer than you would if you were just playing a normal brand of football where you could actually churn some clock because you decided to run the football they also lose Kylan Hill, they're one of their main playmakers on that side of the football at running back. Where's it going to come from for them on the offensive side of the ball? I'm just really questioning that with Mississippi State. I don't know where ESPN's FBI has them as a top 10 team. Just doesn't quite make sense. So now looking at the group internally between Texas A&M, LSU, and Auburn, each of those teams has their own issues. They're all different. A&M and LSU have different issues even regarding the same issue that they have at quarterback like they're, they're, you can talk about those two positions differently A&M has recruited the quarterback position fairly well but they've now got a redshirt freshman coming in LSU has experience at quarterback all of those guys have seen time except for Nussmeyer I think you're probably looking at more than likely to be Max Johnson or Miles Brennan but they weren't very good when they were out there and the saying is if you got two quarterbacks you've got no quarterbacks I'm not so sure that LSU is going to have everything firing on all cylinders this upcoming year on the offensive side of the ball and they got a weight of other issues a whole host of other issues that are distractions for the program so I'm not all the way there A&M loses four of its five starting offensive linemen and a quarterback where have I heard that before Auburn there you go and what issues did Auburn have they had a lot of issues breaking in Bo Nix it's two years in the making you know yeah then you look at how bad the offensive line was this past year for Auburn losing four of your five starting offensive linemen we saw how bad that was for Auburn it could be that bad for A&M. 
So for me, I see, yes, Auburn lost its receivers, but they bring back their offensive line. They bring back their quarterback. They bring back their running back. There's something to be said for having continuity. And although there's a new coaching staff coming in, there's something to be said about having continuity of personnel and players on the field. And I like this defense a lot. This defense could be good enough to carry you through the early stages of the season. And once you finally have things figured out on offense, you could be looking at Auburn as a team later on in the year that that could be competing for that second spot in the SEC West. And that that's a very legitimate argument. I, I I agree with you. I was just saying that I'm Ole, pumping it out, man. Ole Miss has a lot more boomer bust potential yep. than Auburn this year. But again, like you said, I think talent is going to win out. One of those teams between Auburn, A and M, and LSU is going to finish second in the SEC. And I think like that's a very legitimate argument. I think Auburn could find themselves sitting at second in the West. And if, if it's things, not Auburn, it's going to be A&M or LSU. It's, it, it is not going to be any of the Mississippi schools or Arkansas. You don't see talent fall that far usually. Mm-mm. You don't see it. I just have a hard time believing that those three teams, that one of those three teams isn't second in the SEC West. I'd be curious. I'm going to look this up over the break. I'm going to go and look over the last couple of seasons with the standings to see if one of those three teams didn't finish second. But I think you would be hard-pressed to find one of those teams not finishing second over the last couple of years. I'm, I'm legitimately curious, stretching back you know, three, four seasons, when was the last time that LSU, Auburn, or Texas A&M, or Alabama didn't finish second in the SEC West? We'll talk about that on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. During the break, we went in and got the answer to that question. When was the last time that someone outside of Auburn, LSU, and A&M or Alabama finished second in the SEC West? Because we were saying, I say that it's more likely that LSU, Auburn, and A&M finished second, one of those three teams, rather than Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. Last time that happened was 15, and it was Ole Miss. So it's been a little while, so that proves my point a little bit more. But now we're going to go to the phone lines. We've got Shane on the line with us. Shane? Appreciate you calling, my man. How you doing? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. I uh, I was just wondering, since Alabama, I mean, are we just going on the fact that they've been doing this for so long is why they're just automatically number one for, you know, without so – they lost a good deal. And if anybody in the country has lost what they lost, I don't see them being counted as the automatic number one in their conference, or probably the country. They'll probably end up being number one in the country again to start the season. That's so very that what valid. We're going That's on very valid. Yes, that is, and, and I'll be completely transparent. And I hate the fact that that's the way it is, but I, I think you're kind of you're kind of running that bet. Like these guys do it every year, so well, well, is this year going to be I, different? I have a gut feeling, and y'all y'all mark me down right now preseason that they're going to lose multiple games during the season. I think that this is the year that it starts to drop down a notch. And A&M gets them. Maybe Auburn gets them. Maybe I don't know if Georgia plays them this year, but I think they lose at least three games during the season. They play Florida instead of Georgia this year. That That's actually, I believe, their SEC opener. So maybe well, Florida can go. do it early. I mean, it, it's definitely – you're right on the one. roster holes. You know what? some reason Nick Saban is very very good at opening the game at opening the season and ending the season so like like you know the very first game I think he'll have him ready to play and and and, and then usually he just he just walks through the, through the season and then he's got to play two games and that's all it, and that's it basically so I think unfortunately I think they will probably be Florida find a way to beat Florida I know nothing about their their new team you know what they have now but 
losing I mean losing what they did, I, I just I can't see how they can replace all of that uh and 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 match what they did last year. Well, I think there's a really good a point to make because, you know, look at what LSU did after they won the national title. They were next to last in fell returning apart. production, and then they fell apart. Alabama this season, 110th in returning production, 35, 33% on the offensive side of the ball. So, like, it's a legitimate argument to make that Alabama could lose more than one game in the regular season this year. But, again, we've seen them seen Alabama time and time again just simply because of recruiting. They've just reloaded. Yeah. And so that's kind of been the narrative that's been proposed, but it's a legitimate argument to make that this could be the year that called, Alabama falls apart. I call three three games. Wow. They lose three games. Y'all y'all hear it. Y'all heard it heard it first. Okay. So when the end of the season, if it, this is this comes to fruition, you know, gotta get you gotta let me have my, my day. 100%. If, it, if that happens, I want you to call back in. We'll give you your props. I'll remember it. All right, guys. Y'all have a good day, guys. Worry. Appreciate it, Shane. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> that was Shane on the line with us, and that's probably all the time we've got for, for calls today because we've got a minute left. I like it, though. It, I'm not going to go as far as saying, you know, that many losses. Three Three's a lot. So, I, I, But, you know, he, he's you've got a point, and he's got a point on roster holes. And you look at on the offensive side of the ball, they lose several offensive linemen. They lose their top two wide receivers. They bring back John Mechie and A.J. Hall. People will be excited about that. But still, you lost a lot there at wide receiver. You lose your stud at running back. You lose your quarterback. All the yards went to the NFL draft, right? But... The thing with Alabama is the way that they recruit. Yes, one day, one day we will be right. One day somebody will make the statement and you'll say there's no way that they replace it this year, right? Like every year you're throwing the dart saying these guys lost all this. One day they won't. One day the dynasty will end. I don't think it's this year. I'm not sure when it'll happen, and one day somebody will be right when they guess, well, this year Alabama's not going to reload, but until that happens, I'm probably just every year going to take, I think it's a safer bet to say that Alabama's going to reload. It really is. That's not me saying that I'm going to pick them to win the SEC West every year, but this year I'm picking Alabama to win the SEC West. It really is, but at the same time, how do you replace three Heisman finalists? And then jokingly, how do you deal with Bill O'Brien on your staff? You know, <laughs> could be just, an issue. Just don't give him GM responsibilities. No. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. Fortunately, there aren't GM responsibilities in college football if you're an Alabama fan. That's it for another week of On the Line. We'll be back with you on Monday. The Drive with Bill Cameron following us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you Monday, same time, same place. You know where to find us.